On today's Murder, She Wrote podcast, it's the first episode of season two. Widow Week for Me. Jessica disguises herself as the famous recluse Marie Canfield, where she decides to solve her one of her friend's murders at a Hawaiian resort. And she's reunited with one of her Broadway co-stars, which gave her one of her many Tony Awards. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to the Murder She Wrote podcast, where I watch every single episode of the hit 80s slash 90s show, Murder She Wrote. Starring three-time Academy Award nominee and five-time Tony Award winner and multiple Golden Globe winner, Miss Angela Lansbury. Today I'm going to be talking about Season 2, Episode 1, Widow, Weep for Me. Air date, September 29th, 1985. I'm your host, Donald Craig II, but I go by DJ DJ, because that was my nickname growing up, because I was named after my father. Um... As always, I spoil everything there's a spoil about the murder of the suspects, everything in between. So if you've not recently seen this episode of Murder, She Wrote, and you own the DVDs like I do, get out your Season 2 disc set, insert disc 1 into your DVD player. This is the first episode on that disc. But if you do not own the DVDs like I do, don't stress yourself. There are ways where you can watch the episode for free. NBC's Peacock app has all 12 seasons streaming with limited commercial interruption, as well as on IMDb TV app. All seasons 1 through 5 is streaming on that app. And on the Roku channel, all 12 seasons, including the four TV movies that ended the series, are all available to stream on the Roku channel right now with limited commercial interruption. You can find all those apps if you own a Roku TV or a Roku streaming device. No, they're not paying me to say that. I just figured I would help you out there. And the show is available to stream on Amazon Prime. All right. This episode is one of my favorites due to Angela Lansbury's performance. Let's get into it. I'm so happy that I finally got the season two. And like I said said before, you know, I'm going to be here for all 12 seasons and I can't wait to get to episodes I have not seen because I've not seen all 12 seasons of Murder, She Wrote. And apparently all kinds of people guest starred on this show and the guest stars make it. And there's a lot of good ones in this episode. Like Mary Rickles, who had a fantastic career in Hollywood. Her last role was in A Hunchback of Notre Dame as one of the gargoyles. And I loved that movie growing up as a kid. But anyway, alright. So, as the opening credits start, we find ourselves at a hotel resort in Hawaii. There is a woman wearing a sequence dress, writing a letter as the opening credits play. And I don't know why this woman is wearing, you know, this dress if she's spending a quiet evening at home. And we see that she's drinking and that there's somebody outside her patio door watching her. 
and the letter that she is addressing is to Jessica. She gets up, she goes outside to the mailbox down the hall to mail the letter to Jessica. As she's doing that, the killer uses a knife to get into to open her patio door. She goes back to her room and she notices that the patio door is wide open. So she goes to inspect to see what's going on. And, you know, guys, I don't understand why people do this in horror films. She sees that the patio door is wide open now. She obviously did not leave it open when she went out to go mail Jessica's letter. But she goes to the patio door, sees it's wide open, walks straight towards it. And she then turns around and looks back in the room as if she's expecting someone to be in the room. And no sooner does she do this, the killer grabs her from behind and she's obviously killed. According to the trivia on IMDb, this was actually filmed at an actual resort. I'm thinking the exterior shots were filmed there, not actually on location. Because it says, what was the name? It was clearly mostly filmed at Turtle Bay Resort in Honolulu, Hawaii. Several scenes were filmed nearby on Honolulu. And one of the guest stars, and I'm going to tell you this now before, before we get to it, Lynn Cardigy, hopefully I said his name right, him and Angela Lansbury starred on Broadway together in the groundbreaking Sondheim musical Sweeney Todd, The Demon Barber of Fleet Street. Now, PBS filmed a thing, um, a production of that, but unfortunately, there was a different actor in the role. But every Broadway fan of that musical says that the best version, and he's on the soundtrack where they, where him and Angela Lansbury sing Little Priest. And if you've not seen the, um, if you've not seen Sweeney Todd, you know, that is a very um, dark musical, a very complex story. And it just makes you think. And, Angel, and a lot of people don't know that Angela Lansbury originated the role of Mrs. Lovett. And she got a Tony Award for her portrayal. And that it premiered on Broadway in 1979. Um, I remember seeing the trailer for that um, when we were watching a Harry Potter film. I think it was Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. I'm not sure. But I think the movie came out in 2007. And there was a trailer for it. And it was advertised as not a musical and had Johnny Depp and Helen uh, Carter in it. And uh, my sister recognized it right away. She was like, oh my God, they, they're finally adapting it for a musical. And I was told, um, and I read in several of the reviews, that when people went to go see the movie, they had no idea that they were going to be seeing a musical. 
because it was not advertised as a musical. And people went into the theater, and when Johnny Depp first said, Yes, there's no place like London, everyone was shocked and started laughing, thinking it was a joke. They had no idea that they were in for the Broadway Sondheim musical Sweeney Todd the Demon Barber played straight. And I think Johnny Depp did a really good job in the role. And so did Helen Carter. But Angela Lansbury was the OG. She was the first Mrs. Lovett, and I gots to say that I love her. Sorry if I went off the rails there. All right. So after the person gets murdered, uh, it's several days later, and Jessica ends up arriving via the fanciest fancy white limousine wearing a purple dress with a purple turban and she's not acting like herself she gets out of the car and says young man i have pacific bags that are all marked and i hope that they're in the same condition that i leave them with when i see them again she goes and says that she is mrs mrs marie canfield from lincoln nebraska and she's acting like an uppity uh rich woman they put her in a different suite and she's not happy about it. Um, Monia Monclair comes up to see her. She is a famous actress. She says, have I seen you before? And she's like, well, I rarely attend the cinema because Jessica literally said in We're Off to Kill the Wizard when Gary Cooper bowed out, so did I. So, of course, she hasn't seen her. And Mrs. Montclair says, I hope you enjoy your stay here with us. And she says, well, if I don't, you'll be the first known. It'll be a short one. And honestly, at this point, at this point, for the average viewer, you know, you're thinking, is this not Jessica Fletcher? Who is this Marie Canfield person? I mean, she's walking around. She's being uppity. She's wearing a, a purple dress with a turban and Angela Lansbury is committed to this part I mean she is such a phenomenal actress I just love her and and you think to yourself oh my god you know who 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 is this person and then she goes to her room and she does this to the bellhop and then she has her glasses on and it's revealed that she is in disguise. She gets out the letter that her friend wrote at the beginning of the episode. And it says, Jessica, I'm in trouble. Desperately need your help and advice. I sense a terrible danger, but I can't leave the island. We'll explain when you arrive. Antoinette. Suddenly, an inspector comes in and says, Madame Fletcher... And she says, I don't know who you are, but my name is. And he's like, I am Chief Inspector Clyde. I can't say his last name. And that they spoke on the phone. He told her not to come here. And she did anyway. And then he says that she's only dressed. She said that Annette Farmsworth, that's the woman, at the beginning of the episode, who got killed, wrote a letter to ask her for her help. The two of them were really close at one point, but 
something changed. And she's like, I'm gonna I'm here to solve her murder, you know, I ain't gonna gonna do anything to stop it. You're not gonna stop me. And he tells her, you know, he understands. And she said, Well, you didn't know her. They were like sisters until about five years ago when her husband died. And she tried to lose herself in travel and parties, love affairs, and she was an alcoholic. And she's now she's dead and killed by a thief. But Jessica doesn't think she was dead by a thief. And the inspector says they had a similar incident where someone tried to force entry into the early hours of the morning, a man dressed in black. But this time the victim was lucky. She screamed, not only saving her jewels, but saving her life as well. So... But Jessica says she cannot accept it, and she thinks there's something more, and that her friend's death was not that simple. And he says, well, madam, I think you're being foolish, because, you know, she wrote a letter before she died, but obviously, you know. And she said, no one's going to know that I'm Jessica Fletcher. I registered as the famous recluse Maureen Canfield. And he says, well, the jewelry that she's wearing is basically going to get the thief to go after her. And they don't know who the thief is. Everyone has alibis of the staff of the, at the hotel. I mean... They, he says that, that uh, she was spending time with Eric Brenham, but he's become very attracted to all the unattached females. But there's a young woman from the United States, a school teacher. I think her name is Victoria Harold, who he's attracted to right now. So Jessica decides to go visit the craft table. A random man comes up and says he's delighted to meet her at last. Eric Brenham, at your service. He, and uh, he asks her to join him later. She says, ask me later she wants to have, and she says she only drinks Rothschild 61. If you don't have it, Mr. Brenham, get it. I mean, she's still playing this fancy smancy woman. And there's a man that notices her immediately. She goes to the craft table um, where, you know, a little ball goes around and you guess the number. And she sits down next to Mary Ripples. And they immediately get along. She says to stay away from the crab cakes unless she was strong. And her name is Ava Crane. And like I said before, I really love Mary Ripples. She was, she worked with Lucille Ball and so many people in Hollywood. She was in one of my favorite holiday movies, White Christmas. She was in Sister Act, Ruby Goldberg. I mean, just so, such a wonderful actress. And I just watched that movie um, a couple days ago, Postcards from the Edge with Meryl Streep and Shirley MacLaine. And she was in that. She played Shirley MacLaine's mom. 
And I, I just thought that was simply amazing. Such a fantastic actress. So she's sitting there, she's talking to Jessica, and she suddenly has to take her blood pressure medicine. And she needs a glass of water. And we notice that she has a key in her change purse. That will come into play before. She said that her doctor died four years ago. She went to his funeral. She's just so funny. And she's wearing a sparkling dress and lots of jewelry on. And we suddenly, suddenly get introduced to that teacher that we were, that the inspector told us about. She's clearly drunk and she's with a young man. She decides to bet on num on a number and she's an elementary school teacher in Iowa. Seventeen is what she's betting on. And she lost, unfortunately. And she wants to bet again. And he's like, I think it's bedtime, darling. And she's like, is this a hunk or not? I mean, can you imagine this beautiful man with me? <laughs> and her dress. Her dress is really, really weird. It's like this pink dress. And it looks like it's tied in like a bow that you would see like in a, a like a, like at Christmas time or something. It's so weird. And she's supposed to be a teacher from Iowa. They would have a dress like that there. I mean, I'm not judging. It's just really weird. She then says to to uh, Linda and Mrs. Fletcher, ladies, eat your hearts out. I think they're good. I don't think they want him. They don't seem to care any any either way. They just sort of look at her like, okay. And there's this woman... Um, there's this woman behind them that is wearing a tiara, like an extra. And I, I can also say, like, I don't understand that. And I know that I'm, like, overly analyzing things that aren't important to the story. But I'm noticing these things for the first time. You know, it's like, why is the woman sitting there wearing a tiara? Who goes to dinner or, or whatever, wherever it is that they are, and wears a tiara? Who does that? And then uh, Linda says, you know, I never cared for tall men, but for him, I could make an exception. And then a man comes up, Michael Haggerty. And she asks if they'd been introduced. And he says, yeah, I just did. And he asks her to join him for a drink at the terrace. And uh, she says, grab that invitation. I've been waiting for this Irish man to hit on me. And she says, I'm so sorry, Mrs. Crane, perhaps tomorrow. And she decides to go have a drink with him. And it looks like they're having margaritas. It looks really good. He's sitting there smoking his pipe. He is clearly Irish. He has a Irish accent. And she says, it has been years since someone has picked me up. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. 
And and she's calling on Mr. Haggerty and he says, Michael is my first name, remember? And he said, and I'll call you Maggie, even though her name is Marjorie. My mother has a nickname of Maggie. She hated it because of Maggie from The Simpsons. <laughs> anyway, she says that it's a pity he's so shy and and... He has an unnatural interest in his fellow man and he thinks that she's a really handsome woman and he wonders why she's kept herself hidden away all these years. And she goes, are you a reporter? And he goes, no, I'm not. Just idle curiosity. There's a man at the bar that is staring at them and drinking and, and watching them speak. And he apparently works for the British police. And this will be his first of many appearances. And this actor is currently acting, and we'll find this out when we go over his, his credits, is currently acting on Blue Bloods. I think, if I'm not mistaken, he plays um, Tom Selleck's father on the show. I could be wrong. Either his father or his grandfather, one of the two. Meanwhile, that strange man is still watching them at the bar. We're going to find out who this man is here in a few minutes. They go out for a walk in a garden. And Jessica's asking about the school teacher's guy, and it's Stephen Turver. Jessica says she's seen him before, and he says a few years back he won two Olympic gold medals for skiing. These days, he's pretty much part of the international jet set, but there was a time when he could fly down a slope like the wind, so he's retired. And he goes, why are you walking in the moonlight of the likes of me, young stud, 15 years my junior? She said, if I was interested in him, believe me, he would be here now instead of you. <laughs> I know what I want, Mr. Haggerty, and I get it. He says, that sounds like a challenge. And he said, did you know that there are some lovely waterfalls a few miles from here? The moon is high, the breeze is gentle. Why don't we go? Why don't we go? And she goes, I suppose you can be trusted. And he says, not in the least. At least he's honest. Then suddenly a man comes out of nowhere and steals Mrs. Fletcher's purse. Then, when Mr. Haggerty goes to get the thief, the random man at the bar knocks into him and lets the thief get away. She asks him if he's fine. And he goes, it was an accident, pal. And she goes, well, I've been sorry. I've been watching you. You're watching me, and I'd like to know why. And he goes, Sarge Sheldon Greenberg, Hotel Security. And he said he's been watching because he thought something like this will, would happen. And it's his business to check out new guests that are dumb enough to wear that kind of jewelry out in plain sight. He says it's an invitation to trouble, and they've had plenty of that there lately. And he says, all I can say is you're lucky something worse didn't happen. Now, if you excuse me, I gotta report this to the police. So no more chasing waterfalls. It's the next day, and Jessica is up bright and early talking to the Inspector Claude. She wants to find out if, to, if Mr. Greenberg 
reported the theft of her purse. And unfortunately, no, he didn't. <laughs> and then she asked, what do you know about Mr. Greenberg? And he said, well, his credentials have checked out. He's been a New York City policeman for over 20 years with a good record. And he says, why? And Agnes suspicion. I'll, and then she gets off the phone with him when she sees the teacher. And she hangs up. She goes over to her and says, hello. And she goes, I see that you're an exercise buff. She goes, I'm Marjorie Canfield. We met last night. She said, I'm sorry. Stephen said, I made a terrible fool of myself. She goes, look, I'm blushed. Shall we go have a nice cold drink together? And she goes, I'm afraid you never asked. So they go and they sit down. And she snaps again to get a waiter to come over. And uh, she says, she says, I would like a lemon frosty. And Jessica says, as Murray Canfield, that's not civilized. We'll have two iced teas, please, with lemon. And then she says, no sugar or chemicals, good for the blood, very invigorating. Now, when I was up in Ohio with my father for the five days um, before, before he passed away, and, and when I post this episode, his birthday is actually Thursday. Um, on April 14th. I thought it was tomorrow, but today was the 12th. I didn't realize. But it, his birthday is coming up, and and I've been missing him and thinking about him. But uh, when I was up there at the hospital with him before before I got him home, um, they gave me some iced tea. They gave me like a big, huge tray of snacks for me to eat because, you know, I was up there by myself and I only had a little bit of money for like food and stuff. So they gave me snacks and there was some iced tea. I tried that, this iced tea and it did not have any sugar in it, any form of flavor at all. It tasted absolutely horrible. So I don't understand why they want to eat or, I mean, drink iced tea like that on here. I mean, it was the worst. I mean, I don't understand why hospital food's got to be so bad. So after the waiter goes away, they begin talking. And they talk about where she works. <laughs> she won this trip of a lifetime. And she's like, oh, you won this trip? How exciting. She said, some supermarket giveaway. To tell you the truth, I don't remember entering. They get their iced teas. They drink it. You can tell by her face that it's not good. But she just met Stephen there. And she said, this was a prize vacation for one. Did you hear anything so crazy for one person? She said, I almost didn't come, but I'm awfully glad I did. Folks here have been real friendly to me especially that French lady, Annette, the woman who died. She was a doll. What a terrible thing to happen to her. Yeah, she was the one who, uh, you know, she came up to me on my first day here, made me feel a part of the place right away. That was nice of her. 
Mm. It was kind of strange, though. So, like, she singled me out. There's a reason. And she goes, maybe she was alone, too. We sure did get along, though. Can't say the same for her and Steven. And then she goes, oh, gosh, there she is. Now there she's a star, and she's so beautiful. She's talking about the woman that Jessica met when she came there. And she was like, oh, Miss Montclair. And she's talking about a made-up, the sin of undercrown. And she says that she played a woman whose husband's cheating on her. So she decides to come kill his mistresses off one by one. And Stephen comes up to her. And basically takes her away. Well, not before saying hello to Miss Canfield and kissing her hand. I mean, Jessica. And they're going to go on a boat and they're going to go scuba diving. I don't know if I'd be able to do that. I mean, I've always think that it was fascinating and stuff. But I don't know if I could hold my breath that long. I mean, I know they give you oxygen and stuff that you have to breathe through. Suddenly we switch to the hotel owner and he is talking to Mr. Haggerty. He says there is no Michael Haggerty of Durban, Ireland associated with the whiskey importing business. And Mr. Haggerty says, really? And he says, it puts me in the most distressing position. Since you've run up a casino obligation of more than $10,000, damn, on what, on obviously false, perhaps you care to explain. He says, uh, not. My real name and occupation are immaterial. In the fact, I prefer to invent alternatives as a quirk of my personality. I trust this will ease your misgivings, Brennan. And he gives him a check. Draw on it as you like. I trust your bookkeeping. Thank you, Mr. Haggerty. I don't know what this has to do with anything. But he gave him a lot of money. Jessica goes back into the office and she notices that Mr. Greenberg is talking to the man who stole her purse the previous night. She decides to come in or go into his office to talk to him. He says, oh, good morning, Miss Canfield. Have a seat. He says, it's crazy. You know, they tell me a five-year-old can perform magic on a computer. Guess I could hire a kindergarten kid to work this thing. Isn't this amazing? Okay, so this is 1985, and he can't figure out the computer. I mean, what would he think if he tried to figure out these computers nowadays, I swear. Um, and, you know, have you realized that we, us 90s kids, or 90s adults, or whatever you want to call us, do you realize now when we try to explain things like how they used to be like floppy disks and dial-up connection and how you couldn't be on the phone and the internet at the same time and if you looked up something, you know, and it would say file not found, it meant that someone did not put anything, that information on there yet. When we try to explain that, we have become our grandparents now. You know how our grandparents would be like, oh my God, I remember when there were only three channels and I was the remote or I remember... When we got our first record player or our first radio and we were like, oh, you're crazy. We're the crazy ones now. When we try to mention stuff like that, people look at us like we are talking out of our ass. Because we're talking about things that are long since gone. And it's so sad because people would put all kinds of stuff on floppy disks and you can't, you can't even look at them now. They're completely useless. 
And even if he was to get the files off of him, he probably wouldn't be, he probably wouldn't be able to view them on any of the computers now. But things like that fascinate me. But she goes, Mr. Greenberg, I'm curious, have you or the local authorities managed to recover my purse? And he says, funny you should ask. I was just getting ready to call you. I spent a couple hours this morning scouring the, gar the grounds. It's full of cash, so I guess it's all here. How convenient, especially as I just saw you chatting with the young man who took it. Now, before I call Mr. Brennan, the manager, suppose you tell me what is going on. It's a coincidence I was going to ask you the same question. He then takes out a book that has her picture on it. And he goes, who did you think you're dealing with? A dummy or something? Now, I didn't know how long she thought she was going to keep this up. I mean, she's known. They put her picture on the jacket of the book. So everybody knows she's J.B. Fletcher. And also, she everybody knows that she has a reputation of solving the murder when she comes across it. So, I mean, how did she think this was going to work? I mean, I know that no one has seen this Marie Canfield because she's a famous recluse who never comes out of her house. But, I mean, how long did she think this was going to last? And she goes, well, if you knew who I was, why did you take my purse? And he goes, because I wasn't 100% certain, because I wanted to look at your passport. And she says, Mr. Greenberg, there's a logical explanation for my presence. He says, yes, and I know. You got a letter from Annette Firmsworth. I heard that from the desk clerk. So you decided to come down here to see if you could sponge up some stuff for your next book. Or maybe you just decided to come down here and make Shelley Greenberg look bad. This is ridiculous. I don't even know you. I know I don't have J.B. Fletcher's reputation. And maybe I wasn't exactly a detective on the New York police. But in 20 years, even as a desk sergeant, you learn a few things. Mr. Greenberg, Sheldon, believe me, I did not come here to embarrass anyone. I'm quite sure, left to your own devices, you'll get to the bottom of this. Yeah, sure. Anyone can see that you're a very good man with a very fascinating personality. Why, I can even see you inspire character in my next book isn't she good and he goes are you kidding me no and then he says your books i mean they're okay i've read them all so if there's anything i can do to help she says thank you sheldon that's a very kind offer so then we go back to the inspector and he goes miss canfield's on the line he goes i'll take it and she goes, I think we should talk. All right, I'll come and pick you up. No, let me meet you someplace where we won't be seen together. And he goes, I know a place near Turtle Bay that overlooks the ocean. And he'll be there. And he's dedicating to his... And he goes, oh, so there's a subplot with the owner and this former Hollywood actress that literally ends up nowhere, you guys. Like, 
She comes in and she is dramatic as she can be. Oh, Eric, darling, I simply have to talk to you about this feud that's going on. And he sends his secretary out of the room. And she says this is an absolutely dreadful situation. And he sends his secretary out. This dreadful man has arrived with his six wives and the chef just received a special menu. Apparently she just made that up just to be alone with him and kiss him. You know, it's not that important. But... <laughs> I mean, he has a wife, but they're having an affair, so it's scandalous. I mean, it's, and it's amazing. And also, you know, he's way older than she is, I think. I mean, so... And it's against company policy for them to be together. And she says, to hell with company policy. I want to be with you. And he says, give me time. It won't be long. Another few months at most, I promise. And then we'll be together. Isn't that what they all say? Jessica comes out and asks for a taxi. But Mr. Haggerty comes and asks Jessica to go for a ride. She's in a flower print dress with another turban on her head. And at first she says, no, she doesn't want to go with him. But then she decides to go with him. I mean, I don't get what the turbans are. I mean, she asks him to take him to the Turtle Bay Overlook. And he says he knows exactly where it is. And he will take her there. He's driving in a white car with the top down. I always wanted to drive in a car like that. It would be so fun. And then somebody else goes driving after him in a car behind him. And it looks like they're actually driving in the actual place. Not like that cheap little um, trick where they just show. There was a sign to go to Turtle Bay and she goes, haven't we? It's, it's this view looking for. I know a great spot even the locals haven't seen. Mr. Haggerty, please stop this car. Might not be a good idea, Miss Haggerty. We're being followed. He goes, a temporary solution, and then he decides to pull off and go. Maybe this was shot on location, but I'm not entirely sure. I've never been to Los Angeles or Hawaii, so I don't know either way. And, of course, the majority of the time when you see people driving, it's the stunt drivers. And only for close-ups are the actors in the actual car. I learned that in drama class. He gets out of the car and she refuses. She wants to go to Turtle Bay. He says, you know, ma'am, I worry about you. We're a wealthy widow. This island may not be safe for you. And he, she says, that sounds like a threat. And he goes, no, it's not. More like a warning. From a concerned friend. May I assure you that you were also a friend to Annette Fernsworth? We talked a few times. She was a neurotic woman, twice divorced. Like you, she flaunted her wealth. May I correct you, Mr. Haggerty? I understand from the papers that she was married only once. There was an earlier marriage to a young, struggling Green Ridge Village poet. Technically, I suppose you're correct. Her father paid for it to be annulled. 
one of those. And she says, well, you seem to know a lot about her past. Because the first marriage was a secret. She didn't share it with no one. Leon stood. Interesting you should know his name. Tell me, madam, just who the hell are you? You know perfectly well who I am, Mr. Haggerty. I had the pleasure of meeting Marguerite Canfield before she became the world's most noble recluse. And unless you've grown five inches in the inverting time, you are most definitely not her. <laughs> he goes, now who are you? And what are you doing on this island? And then before she can answer, someone comes up, the person that was following them, and says, Mrs. Fletcher. And he goes, Fletcher? He goes, it's Sergeant Diozzi. Would you please come with me? The inspector wants to see you at the hotel. Why? What's happened? There's been another murder, ma'am. Oh, this is so sad. And the person who died is Linda. Mary Rickles. Oh, and apparently he had the doorman plant like a tracking device on the car. Madame Crane was murdered in the early hours of the morning, about six, give or take one or two hours from now. The lock to the balcony was forced. She was stabbed here in her bed. The room was ramshacked and her jewelry has been stolen. Now there's no question in his mind that he is dealing with a professional thief. Who kills his victims to keep him quiet? Jessica says she disagrees agrees with him and she says she's more convinced than ever that motive was not simple robbery she was at the table with her last night and she was dripping with jewels all right but they were all fakes and very good fakes but if i could spot them an experienced jewel thief could not be fooled by them she says that the robbery was a cover for another motive and he goes but if the jewels were fake she says of course they were she wore duplicates to keep the real ones safe, for despite onward appearances, Ava Crane had really very little that was worth stealing. He said, that's interesting. He said, suppose we check that out. The key to her hotel safe deposit box. So they go to Mr. Greenberg's office, and he takes it out. Takes out her box. They look in. Her passport's in there, airline tickets, envelope with about a thousand American currency. So maybe, oh, in 1995, Hawaii wasn't considered a state, right? I'm going to have to look that up because I am confused that this is in Hawaii. Okay, so apparently Hawaii became a state in 1959. So if they're on an island in Hawaii... Unless, unless it was shot on location at an island in Hawaii, but they're pretending to be somewhere on foreign soil, so they need American currency? Like, I don't know. I'm confused. I, I definitely don't know where this is set now. I thought I did, but now I don't.
So they look in her box and and he says, I've been thinking about what you said about Brenham. He says, my loyalty stops at two dead bodies. One person connects these three robberies and it's him. He's all this time sucking up to these women. And she goes, all of them? Are you sure? It's my job to be sure. And another thing, he was always trying to hustle money, calling this guy and that guy, trying to put together a scheme to make himself a bundle. And of that, I am also sure. And he says, well, Mr. Greenberg, this is a very interesting theory, the inspector says. But do remember that this is a police investigation. And yours truly is a hotel security, which makes me a player. Uh-huh. Miss Fletcher then goes for a walk, and she runs into the hotel manager, Mr. Brenham. And he realizes that her, she's Miss Fletcher now. And she goes, oh, you know. And he says, of course, everyone knows now. She says, forgive me. I do so dislike deceiving people. He says, actually, it was probably a wise decision. He says, never mind. I'm delighted to know you, no matter whatever your name is. And he goes, I understand you're helping the police. And she says, oh, no, I'm not. He does, The inspector doesn't need any help from me. But she says she is curious about one thing. I'm sure that Mrs. Clary was wearing fake jewels. And it occurred to her that perhaps her financial circumstances wasn't quite what they seemed. Um, was she financially embarrassed? Well, it would be the first time that an older woman was forced to sell her jewels to maintain a facade of wealth. Sad. He says, you have a really awesome imagination. But I can assure you, Ava Crane was more than Sullivan. Her security holdings are worth millions. And not only that, her checks were good. And he leaves her alone, leaving her again puzzled. She goes back to her room. And Mr. Haggerty is already in there, looking, and she's looking for her. He's very mysterious. And she goes, you know, I'm a bit annoyed with you. Well, that's nothing compared to what I feel for you, Mr. Haggerty. You gave me a very nasty scare earlier. Now I feel angry. But no longer frightened, he asks. That makes you either very brave or very foolish. Why were you hiding these letters from Annette Friendsworth? They weren't hidden. They're my property. And I'd like to ask you a question, Mr. Haggerty. Who are you? And how did you know Annette Farnsworth? That, madam, is my business. You'll understand it if I make it in the inspector's business. She decides to call. He hangs up. I didn't know her. I knew of her through her father. As you know, one of the foremost vineyards in France and a very wealthy woman. Man, sorry. Let me emphasize the word very wealthy. You know, I don't think this is an appropriate place to talk. It could be bugged. It was her father who arranged of his daughter's marriage to the poet Leon. What I'm about to tell you now, you may already know. Well, I don't. If not, you must promise. But I can't promise that, she says. I have to tell not with two unsolved murders. And he says, okay, whatever. All right, then. A child was born to Annette six months after the annulment. The old man was furious. He refused to recognize the issue of a marriage that never existed. And he warned Annette that he would cut her off without a soul unless she put the child up for adoption. Jessica didn't know this. 
She was terrified of the old man in those days, so she agreed. Now the old fellow's got the hot breath of his maker warming his back. He's looking for a way to atone for his past sins, which means he's not only seeking the forgiveness of Annette, but also the grandchild that he's that he shut out of his life 28 years ago. And that would be Victoria Harold, Jessica says. Very good, Mrs. Fletcher. Well, it does seem strange that a young teacher should win a trip to this island in a contest she doesn't remember entering. Yeah, but how does one mind go? And then suddenly being befriended by a woman. The contest prize was the old man's idea. He's dying, but he still has wits about him. How long have you worked for him? Off and on for ten years or more. Various assignments that require discretion or involve some risk. Like robbing the Bank of England? You may well laugh, madam, but I actually had to do that once some years back by order of the Prime Minister. Oh, I don't believe that. Um, British intelligence, you really are a man of surprises. <clears throat> and she's calling him Michael now. Did Victoria indicate to you that she knew about her roots? No, her father had sworn her not to secrecy. But what do you suggest? That she knew and that she killed her own mother to inherit the, her, the father's fortune? No, but we must go to the marina at once. Why? What is it? I'll explain on the way. Suddenly they're in his car and they're going. And uh, they're talking that the letters were, were from Annette where she had met a handsome man named Swim, the same man that is with the teacher right now. I've just met the most delightful young man. We've been seeing each other every night, sharing secrets and shutting out the rest of the world. Don't ask his name, because if I told you, you really would think me crazy. Just wish your old pal luck. And he's like, sorry, I don't follow, but don't you see? If they were sharing secrets, she might have told that young man. Maybe in a drunken moment. About her daughter. Dun, dun, dun. Well, possibly, but no. If somehow Sven had discovered Victoria's true identity, that would explain how a handsome young international playboy would suddenly become attracted romantically to a very simple young I Iowa school teacher, even though they've only met two weeks previously. No, Annette would have put a stop to it, not without revealing who she really was. Oh, and there's something else. Victoria told me that Annette and Swin were always baiting each other. And finally, Michael, her last letter. I mean, she desperately needed my help and advice. But she couldn't get off the island, and I think we know why. By God, Jessica, I think you're right. But she's in no danger. He's got no reason to kill her, perhaps something worse. So they arrive at the marina. There's lots of little booths. There's sellings going on. Um, are we in Mexico? But Hawaii is used as like a forum of Mexico? I don't know. I have no idea, guys. I mean, this is annoying to me. And they arrive just in time. The boat has not even left yet. Or no, they're arriving back. And Victoria's like, hi, Miss Canfield. And she goes, how was your outing? And she was like, awesome. 
and she says that the two of them are going to get married first thing tomorrow morning. And he goes, I see something worse indeed. And they go, isn't it great for us both, darling? I am a very lucky man. And are you by chance planning the honeymoon in St. Mark's? It does seem appropriate, Mr. considering you spent so much time there. With Annette Farnsworth. What are you saying? No, they're just friends. We're saying we're sure the Swiss authorities would turn up a relationship between you and Miss Farnsworth. That it was considerably more than casual. That being the case, Boyle, Boyle, the wedding will have to wait till after you've had a chat with the police about a murder. And he decides to jump in the water and swim away, and Mr. Haggerty goes after him, and they both jump in the water. But you can tell that it was totally stunt doubles. Because Mr. Haggerty is suddenly really skinny and doesn't have any gray hair anymore. All right, so the next, we're at the police station. And he says that he knew Annette Fernsworth, but they met in Europe. But he met many people. And the, and the inspector says, well, you're, well, Mr. Haggerty thinks your relationship was more. And he goes, no, it wasn't. He goes, all right, I knew her. Well. And she told you about her daughter. It slipped out one night while she was drunk. How convenient, feeling sorry for herself. But then she didn't know, even know Victoria, where she was, who she was. Then I ran into Annette here again on the island. I saw her with Victoria. I put it together. I confronted her. She denied it, but I knew she was lying. And so you pursued the daughter, knowing that one day she would be heir to a huge fortune. A man seizes his opportunities when he finds them. Madame Finsworth could not have liked that too much. Gentlemen, I'm sorry to disappoint you, but I did not kill her. Even though by her death Victoria became heir to the Marine fortune, believe what you like, I'm telling you the truth. So now the poor girl feels like a fool. And she's like, oh my god, she was my mother? She was really my mother? And Jessica's like, yes. And she starts crying. Because how sad to not know that it was. I don't know what hurts more about this. The fact that we had so little time together. Or the fact that Sven was only after this fortune I might inherit. Oh, that's so sad, isn't it? And she goes, I loved him. I know that he can be very charming. I'm so sorry, Jessica says. She goes, Mrs. Fletcher, wait, there's one thing about these killings. I mean, I know that you all think that Sven pretended to be a jewel thief to hide the fact that his real motive was to murder Annette, but you know that's not possible. And she goes, how so? No, the first attempt, the one that failed, that happened the day after I got here. But Spin didn't show up until two days later. He was in California when the first woman was robbed. Jessica goes back to Mr. Greenberg's office. She goes, you were right. 
His entry visa is stamped three days after the first robbery attempt. Could have told you it wasn't him. I know who killed these women, Mrs. Fletcher. Oh, you mean Mr. Nixay? It's our secret, remember? Now take this key back to your boyfriend. Tell him not to sweat it. The cops are chasing down the wrong alley. We then cut to Mr. Grand, the owner of the hotel. Um, Mr. Barnes from the insurance company comes in. And she goes, you hear about Mr. Avery Cranes with an $8,000... 80, 80... Whoa! Damn, that is a lot of money. As soon as authorities issue the warrant, you may proceed. A pleasure meeting you, Mrs. Fletcher. Thank you. He leaves. I'm afraid you won't find anything in Stephen Tarot's room. With his passport, puts him in California at the time of the first robbery attempt. He goes, oh. And if it wasn't him, then who? Me, perhaps, Mrs. Fletcher? You might as well know that I've decided to fire Sheldon Greenberg. Not only is he totally incompetent, but I'm well aware of his accusations against me. He makes one good point, Mr. Brennan. You were attentive to all three ladies. Because that is my job. Well, yeah. Would you like a verification of his innocence? I've had about all I can stomach of that pretty little in the snide and installations. Eric had nothing to do with those murders. Marna, be quiet. So you can be crucified on a cross of Indowindo? My God, the whispers can be heard clear to the States. What time was Mrs. Crane killed this morning? The police believe it was just before daybreak. At which time this gentleman was sharing both my bed and my affections. Oh, my Lord. Don't be a fool. Stay out of this, if you're shocked, Mrs. Ledger. Oh, I'm not. Eric is not trying to protect my reputation. It doesn't need it. We've been married for nearly a year, and the company be damned. I don't care who knows it. Okay. Okay. So, basically, now I understand this. I didn't understand this before, you guys. Okay, so they work together, and it is against company policy for them to be married, so they have hidden their relationship, and they want to get away from that place so they could be a happy married couple. Okay, I get it now. But again, it amounts to nothing because, which may be sooner than they planned, Eric's been trying to put out something together for months, a hotel in the Mexican Riviera. The only thing holding up is money, the key to everything. Isn't it always? Oh, yes, it is. She says, I'm so sorry, I must go and call the inspector. We are telling you the truth. Oh, I'm quite sure you are. And I wish you both many years of happiness. Mrs. Fletcher has had her epiphany, guys. Our killer is none other than Mr. Greenberg. He's been, been fired, and he thinks that's why she's there. The case against Mr. Brenham, there's one question that I have to ask. Did he by any chance have a master key to these safe deposit boxes? No way. I got the only one right here. Never leaves my side, which reminds me just what I thought. It wasn't Eric Brenham or Martha that killed those women. Nor was it Sven or Victoria Harold. In fact, Victoria's inheritance wasn't even the motive. What was the motive? Greed, Mr. Greenberg. Plain, old-fashioned greed. What the hell are you talking about? 
Oh, I think you know what I'm talking about. Theft. The theft of over a million dollars in gems. By a man who spent the past couple of years watching others live the good life. Being close to it, but never a part of it. He says, well, if that's an accusation, you're crazy. Ava Crane owned nearly a million dollars worth of jewels. They were insured. The company investor was here earlier. I met him. So what? Well, it means that Ava's jewels were real, not fake. Yeah, I already told you that. Yes, but the jewels I saw her wearing were fake. So she must have kept the others somewhere for safekeeping. And where else but here in your office? Lady, when we opened that box, there were no jewels. Mm. Because you've already taken them. You killed her. Took her safe deposit box key, opened the box, and after you removed the jewels, you returned the key to her room. I suppose you think you can prove all that? Yes, I think so. You see, at the rough table, I noticed that Ava kept her safe deposit key in a small change purse inside her handbag. Yet, when her body was discovered, the key was out of her purse lying on the dresser in plain sight. Someone had used it. And since you didn't mention that fact, the user must have been you, Mr. Greenberg. Because no one could have gotten into the box without your key. Which, as you just pointed out, you kept with you at all times. I'll say this, you got one hell of an imagination, lady. And he has a drawer with a gun in it. Mr. Harrity comes and he says, based on Mrs. Fletcher's deductions, the authorities have obtained a search warrant and went through your luggage. And the jewels are there. Even though these beauties have been removed from their setting, I doubt we'll have any difficulty identifying them as having belonged to Ava Crane and Annette Farnsworth. And he goes to reach for the gun, and he, she says, I wouldn't do that. And then the inspector comes through the door. And he says, a million bucks. Thanks, lady. I could have lived like a king. Honestly, you guys. Um, okay. And then the episode ends with um, Mrs. Fletcher saying goodbye to um, the teacher, Miss Harold. And she says, you know, be nice to your grandfather. Maybe he's aged like a fine wine. And if he doesn't, who needs $14 million? And she goes off. And Mr. Haggerty basically asks if he can call on Mrs. Fletcher sometime. And she says, yes, he can. And the episode ends there. Honestly, you guys, I like this episode because Angela Lansbury fully commits to pretending to be someone else, not pretending to be Jessica Fletcher. And she's really good at it, you know, and she commits fully to this role. And it's really great. But it is painfully, painfully, and I do mean painfully obvious that Mr. Greenberg is the killer from the word go. Just the way that he acts around Jessica, the way he looks at her, the way he watches her. And it could have been really good. And I hate that Mary Rickles ends up playing a character that ends up dead. And also, if you have Jessica Fletcher there, why would you kill somebody else? Why risk it? And why kill them? Why not just take their jewels, say they were misplaced? Like, pretend there's a thief around, but why go ahead and murder them on top of everything else? I don't understand it. And now let's go over the guest stars. 
Lynn Carnegie, Carnegie, C-A-R-I-O-N. I hope I said that right. Let's see who he plays on Blue Bloods. He's still alive and kicking, and he hit, he looks the same as he does in this episode. He is known for About Summit and Blue Bloods. He plays Henry Reginald. I don't know if that's the grandfather or if that's just the father. But he's currently on there right now. He was in the Bumblebee movie. Damages. The original Law and Order, which they have recently brought back. CSI, which they recently brought that back too. It wasn't as good as the original. The Outer Limits, The Practice, and he makes his first of seven appearances on Murder, She Wrote. Between now and 1992, can't wait to see that, and we'll go over more of his credentials then. It was nice to see him in this episode. Him and Angela Lansbury have such great chemistry. I mean, it's just amazing. Simply amazing. Um, Sid Caster played Miss Montclair. She passed away in 2008 at the age of 86. She was known for Silk Stockings, 1957 movie. Meet Me in Las Vegas, 1956. The Bandwagon, 1953. It's Always Fair Weather, 1955. She was in a lot of MGM musicals and stuff. Her last known credit is something called Empire State Building Murders, a TV movie in 2008. She was on Frasier, Blake's Law. She was in a music video with Janet Jackson. This is her only episode of Murder, she wrote. She was on Fantasy Island, The Love Boat, Love the Love Boat, Original Hawaii Five O. She was in a lot of MGM musicals. So she had one of those awesome careers. Maybe she was in a movie with Angela Lansbury, but it doesn't say that she was. Maybe they just went to MGM together. Mel Farrell played the role of Eric Brenham, her lover, and her husband. He also died in 2008, but he was born in 1917, so he must have seen the world change around him. He died at the age of 90. He is known for... Lil, 1953, The World, The Flesh and the Devil, 1959, Wait Until Dark, 1967, and Knights of the Round Table, 1953. His last known credit is Stories from My Childhood in 1998. He will appear in another episode of Murder, She Wrote in 1999, the year I was born. So we'll go over more of his credentials then. Howard Horseman played our killer, Mr. Greenberg. Oh. He just recently died on January 29th, 2022, at the age of 81. Um, he was known for WKRP in Cincinnati, 
head of the class. Now I remember. Now that's why you look familiar. Police Academy 2, their first assignment in Flight of the Navigator. His last known credit was something called Dirty Politics in 2018. He guessed on Fresh Off the Boat, Chicago Med, The Homeless Detective, CSI, Drop Dead Diva, All About Steve, ER, Psych, Boston Legal, House, Crossing Jordan, That 70s Show, Touched by an Angel, Family Law, Two Guys, a Girl, and a Pizza Place, The Outer Limits, Blake's Law, The New WKRP in Cincinnati, The Ray Bradley Theater, Head of the Class from 1986 to 1990, awesome show that's on HBO Max. And this is his only episode of Murder, She Wrote. He was also on One Day at a Time. Love that show, the original One Day at a Time. And he played Dr. Johnny Fever on WKRP in Cincinnati. A show I think I saw in syndication, but not a lot of. And he was on Soap. I love that show. The Rockford Files, The Ghosts of Flight 401, Bob Newhart Show. Really good actor, but I didn't recognize him right away. And I did that when I first covered this episode on my, uh, when I did it on YouTube. But may he rest in peace. John Philip Law played the role of Sven. You know, the bad guy who just wants her money. He also died in 2008 at the age of 70. He's known for Barbarella, 1968, Space Mutiny, 1988, Danger, Dubuck, I don't know, and The Golden Village Voyage of Sinbad, 1973. His last known credit, it says that he's in post-production for something called Citizens, but um, that can't be accurate since he dead. Um, his last known credit is something in Spanish in 2012. Then China man's chance Americans, other slaves. I don't know. Um, three faces of terror, Spider-Man, the animated series. Love that. Um, he was in alienator. It's a Living, that was a sitcom. The Love Boat. Um, this is the only episode of Murder, She Wrote. So he's in a lot of like those B-movies that a lot of actors don't like doing. Oh, he was in the original Showboat as an extra, but he was uncredited. Anne Lockhart played the role of Victoria Harold. And I think she appears in another episode of Murder, She Wrote, because she looked familiar. She's still alive. She's known for The Time Traveler's Wife, Alien vs. Predator, Eagle Eye, and Buried. She's doing a lot of stuff behind the scenes. She has been on Chicago Fire as a ditch patcher emergency nurse, but for some reason she's uncredited in that role. She was on the series Star Trek Continues, The Lion Game, Tooth Fairy 2, 
Law and Order, Criminal Intent as a policewoman, but she's uncredited in, on that show too, and on the original Law and Order as well. Prep and Landing. She was in Hannah Montana, the movie, but she was uncredited. Law and Order Special Victims Unit, uncredited. Bachelor Party, the last two, the last temptation, NCIS, uncredited. The West Wing, uncredited. Diversion, uncredited. Level 9, uncredited. Diagnosis Murder, uncredited. Um, Walker, Texas Ranger, The Bold and Beautiful, but it doesn't say who, what she played. It was in 1996. Oh, she was in Theodore Rex. Ooh. Simon and Simon in Trouble Again. Oh, she will be in... Oh! She was in the first episode of Murder, she wrote. Deadly Lady as Guru Race, where she played the the person who was suspected of killing her father, but it was the other daughter. Oh, that's why she looks so familiar. I'm sorry, guys. I can't remember everything. Like, I'm so sorry. Um, But she will appear in three other episodes of Murder, she wrote, or two other episodes of Murder, she wrote. Um, but good, good actress. Good actress. I, I forgot. Um, the inspector was played by Raymond St. Jock? St. Jock? Jock? Jocks? Um, he died in 1990 at the age of 60. He is known for They Live, 1988, Cotton Comes to Harlem, 1970, the Green Berets, 1968, and Change of Mind, 1969. His last known credit is um, playing the role of Frederick Douglass in a documentary called The True Story of Glory Continues. Uh, he was on the original MacGyver, A Different World, Starman, Amen, 227, Dallas, The Love Boat, Oh, and he was in The Murder of Sherlock Holmes as the doctor in the pilot movie. I didn't realize that. It was such a small role. Uh, and this is his last appearance on Murder, She Wrote. He was in Cadney and Lacey, Falcon Crest, Trapper Drawn, M.D., Fantasy Island, Heart to Heart, House Calls, Wonder Woman, Vegas. So he had a Awesome, and then he was in Roots as the drummer. Awesome career, awesome career, awesome dude. Wonderful actor, loved him in this. Can't believe I forgot that he was in the pilot movie. Like, I'm so sorry. And then we have Mary Rickles, who was born in 1910 and died in 1995 at the age of 85. She was such a good actress. I miss her. She's known for Sister Act. White Christmas, Sister Act 2, and The Hunchback of Notre Dame, which was um, her last movie, and Life with Louie. She did voiceover work, which was a cartoon series with Louie Anderson, who recently died this um, year. She was in Little Women as Aunt March on the Father Downing Mysteries. And like I said, Postcards from the Edges, Grandma, Highway to Heaven, Punky Brewster, um, oh, this is her only episode of Murder, She Wrote. Trapper John M.D., The Love Boat, Touch, 
by Love of Doc, 1970s series, MASH, Kojak, The Night Stalker, Here's Lucy, so she worked a lot with Lucille Ball, The Jimmy Stewart Show, Don Wrinkle's Show, Julia, TV series, Debbie Reynolds' Show, um, The Lucy Show, and she was on I Love Lucy, The Red Skeleton Hour, Bonanza, Phyllis Dillard Show, The Trouble with Angels, that was a good movie. The Donna Reed Show, Bob Hope, Dennis the Menace, Shirley Temple's Storybook Hour, um, and I know Danny Thomas Show, The Mickey Mouse Club, Alfred Hitchcock Presents, And she was on Isle of Lucy in the She was in Isle of Lucy in the ballet episode. I love that episode. She was really a great actress. Honestly the best. Um that's all our guest stars. That was the first episode of season two, you guys. Um, I know it's a lot longer than I normally do, but hey, I just wanted to make sure I, that I remembered everything. Um, I love this episode, but like I said, it was mainly obvious that Mr. Greenberg was the killer. They could have done a little bit better, but like Angela is very convinced of the role um, of pretending to be somebody who is not Jessica Fletcher, and it is amazing. Um, I have to say... Um, I love this episode and I'm going to continue to, I am to the end of all 12 seasons. So thank you for your continued support. Um, I know that I'm going to have some new listeners from who follow the Melrose Place podcast, which if you have not watched them, you should, because they are so awesome. I love them and happy crime solving. And I'll see you in the next one. And again, my thoughts and prayers go out to the people of Ukraine. I pray for peace every night before I go to bed. And I hope that things get better there. And I also hope the weather gets better because it has been crazy. Cold one day, nice the next. Just really weird. Anyway, y'all, happy crime solving and I'll see you in the next one. And I'm so happy that I no longer have to say, you know... It's this episode number or whatever. I'm glad that they did not do any pilot, any movies for season two. And it's just episode one and so on and so forth. So I'll see you soon for episode two. Have a great night, day, depending on when you listen to this. And if you want to, or if you don't want to, it's totally okay. You can leave me a review if you want. I don't know if those help. I don't know exactly if that works. But if you like what you're seeing, just continue listening. It means the world to me. Have a great night and happy crime solving and I'll see you in the next one.